Well, interesting that tonight this passage right here was quoted in two letters, actually, or portions of it were. And uh, Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. And I had this, I did not know we were going to read those tonight, those letters, but the Lord had them on our hearts already, for sure. And I just want to read these two verses, and then we'll kind of launch off on our topic we've been looking at on the faithfulness of God. And we've looked at various passages already on this, but I thought we, we couldn't escape this one, for sure. Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 to 23. Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed, because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And let's pray. Lord, we want to come before you tonight in thanksgiving, first and foremost, for what this verse says about you. Thank you that you are the faithful God. You're faithful all the time. And Lord, I pray tonight as we open up your word, you would use it in our lives to draw us closer to yourself. That Lord, you would show us areas in our life we need to trust you more. But Lord, more than anything, we would see who you really are and and worship you out of a heart that is directed towards you. And I just want to pray that tonight, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1866, in Franklin, Kentucky, a man named, uh, a little, well, he was an infant then, but Thomas Obadiah Chisholm was born. And although he never went to high school or college, he started teaching in an elementary school when he was 16 years old. How about that? And five years later, he was named as associate editor for the Franklin favorite, uh, the local newspaper. When he was 27, he attended a revival service led by Dr. H.C. Morrison and and gave his life to Christ. In the years following, he served as a Methodist minister and then later uh, as an insurance agent. And he lived for a time in Winona Lake, Indiana, and later in Vinland, New Jersey. And during his lifetime, he wrote 1,200 poems. And in 1923, he sent a batch of the poems to William Runyon, who was a musician serving at Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. And Mr. Runyon was so impressed by one poem in particular that he decided to set it to music. And he published it privately, uh, knowing that uh, it would, and little knowing that it would become one of the most beloved hymns of the 20th century. Uh, It became a favorite of Dr. Will Houghton, president of the Institute, and later became known as the unofficial theme song of Moody Bible Institute. And in 1954, George Beverly Shea introduced it to Great Britain during the Billy Graham Crusade at Herringay Arena in London. And then writing in 1941, Thomas Obadiah Chisholm said this in his personal testimony, He said, my income has not been large at any time due to impaired health in the earlier years, which has followed me until now. Although I must not fail to record here the unfailing faithfulness of a covenant-keeping God, and that he has given me many wonderful displays of his providing care, for which I am filled with astonishing gratefulness. And I love that last phrase, astonishing gratefulness. And, of course, the hymn I'm talking about is the hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. We sing that quite often. It is one of the most beloved hymns and often sung. uh, Well, it was one of the first hymns I learned, and I think of that. But that was written by him, and it's based upon Lamentations 3, 22 to 23. And I just want to look at this briefly and just kind of think this is the backdrop. And mind you, when 
most likely Jeremiah, who wrote Lamentations, at least historically he's given credit for that. His name is not on the book of Lamentations, but it is believed he wrote it. He's writing that against the backdrop of, remember, the uh, Babylonian captivity and the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple and all the things that went with that. And he's lamenting. That's what the book is about. And yet in the process of that, he has this doxology of praise for the faithfulness of God. And, you know, through the centuries, it has been just that for God's people. And because God has not changed, right? I love this. He says, Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not. Thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. Boy, that's true, isn't it? And that's what he says. Of course, the refrain there is, Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed thy hand hath provided great is thy faithfulness lord unto me and look at this one summer and winter and springtime and harvest sun moon and stars in their courses above join with all nature in manifold witness to thy great faithfulness mercy and love we'll, we'll come back to that in a moment because it's part of lamentations also what he talks about there and then the last verse there is uh, pardon for sin and a peace that endureth Thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine with 10,000 beside. And I, I think of that uh, song. It's more of a um, contemporary chorus, but uh, 10,000 reasons. And we, I think we just sang that. The kids just did that. And, you know, it kind of echoes the same thing that Thomas Chisholm also said when he was talking about the 10,000 beside, right? Things to praise for, things to give him thanks now, I often thought about that if some, sometime we, we just have a, uh, a get-together and we say, let's start praising the Lord for various things, even just one little you know, phrase or one word description or whatever. And I think if we really, really put our minds to use, we would keep going and going and going. <laughs> and you would probably go all night easy on that if we, if we had our mind to it, for sure. All right, well, back to our text here. Actually, I'm going the wrong way here, but back to our text. There we go. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. And we, we see here this uh, song of faithfulness. And again, it points us towards heaven. And the question here that begins, and uh, it's this, it's through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed. Now, it's a statement, but I, I want to ask a question. And it's this, why doesn't God destroy us? I mean, after all, we really probably deserve that. And... Uh, I know we do. I mean, it is by his mercies that we're not consumed. Uh, the implication there is that we are should be consumed. And that's really our state, right? In our lost condition, we should be consumed. And I think of that through my own life or through the lives of, I'm sure every one of us could would look back and say, where was, you know, when did you ever have a near-death experience? You know, I'm sure every one of us has had a few of those where, you know, if we'd have just been half a second slower or faster you know we would have been taken out with a car or something that was in the wrong lane or in an intersection or those kind of things or you know various various things I remember sitting in a mess hall in a field it was in Germany in Grafenwehr Germany I was sitting in the mess hall and uh I came outside, and one of the infantry Bradley vehicles had pulled off the range, and you're supposed to come off the range with no ammunition in the vehicle, and in the gun especially, and he pulled off, and he traversed his turret like this, and the guy was checking his gun, and he still had a round in it, 
and it went kaboom right across the top of the mess hall by about that much. And I watched that thing go, and it shot off into the town of Vilsack, Germany. And I went, oh, wow, I can't believe that just happened, you know. And thankfully, nobody was killed. Nobody even knows where it really landed, but it went out there somewhere. And, and I thought, you know, if that had just been a couple minutes sooner and a, probably about five or six feet lower or even just a few inches lower on his turret, that would have killed me or somebody else. And, and I think, Lord, woo, thank you, you know. And the funny thing is, I was having a conversation with a guy, and he, he had never been on the, the range and, and with the Bradleys, and he said, are those things loud when they shoot? And just after I said, yeah, they're pretty loud if you're outside the vehicle, bang, the thing goes right off, you know. Said, well, there you go. But uh, anyways, I say that because there's, there's those things that happen, you know, and we wonder, that moment in time, that decision, the, the course of life sometimes that is directed just by a choice that you make uh, with the Lord probably intervening in all that, and you make a, a little choice and it changes the whole course of things, doesn't it? Sometimes for the bad as well. But, you know, it's by his mercies that we're not consumed. And I, I think of that because it's so often when, when that happens, uh, and, and I'm telling you, it's, you know, it's God at work. And I, I, well, I could go on and on. I mean, last year, I remember in the spring, we had a lightning strike. Some of you are aware of that. I lost my pump and some other things, but it wasn't four minutes before that. I just got out of the shower, and it hadn't started thundering yet. You know, it was one of those. I knew it was about to. I gra- grabbed a shower, was getting out, and wham, that hit, and it destroyed my pump and everything else. So you know that it hit the, you know, went up through the piping and everything else. I'm glad I wasn't in the shower. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, those kind of things. And you go, thank you, Lord, <laughs> for reminding me of the frailty of man and the power of God, for sure. Uh, and I say, Lord, you know, those things. It's by your mercies that we're not consumed and that we have any breath at all in our lives. Uh, when you look at that phrase, uh, summer and winter and springtime and harvest, sun, moon, and stars in their courses above, and uh, you know, I don't know if what he was thinking when he wrote those lines, but if you think about the verse that we just read out of Lamentations, and it, it is the very fact that God has set things in order around us that we're not consumed. Uh, I mean, I, I marvel at the fact that we live on a planet that is, uh, as they put it, it's in a perfectly irregular p- position. And that's what, that sounds odd, right? But it is. We're, we're in a planet that, that's tilted on its axis, and because we have a tilted axis, as, and, and, and not like many other planets by any means, uh, it, it is such that it, we have seasons. You know, It's a good thing, because I don't want to live all the time with snow. All right, I want it to get summer sometime. Uh, someday it will, maybe. Um, but those kind of things. Or the fact that the sun and the moon and the stars all are, are set in their courses. Things are, you can look at them and determine things. And we aren't just floating free out there in space somewhere. I mean, we are perfectly arranged even in our place in the solar system such that we have liquid water. It's not too close to the sun where everything's gaseous. It's not too far where everything's ice, you know. It's liquid. And and you can sustain life with liquid water, right? Uh, it's uh, such that we have a, a core that is made out of mostly iron and nickel. And because of that, we have a magnetic field around the earth. And I can play radio because of that and all that stuff. But oh, no, that's not. But it keeps us from dying of radiation, believe it or not. Do we take that for granted every day? I didn't wake up this morning thinking, the sun's going to kill me today. 
No, I mean, it's all taken care of. Other planets don't have that, you know. Um, and, and the fact that we have a moon, a very large moon, that really even shouldn't be where it is, but it is. And, and we have tides, and because of tides we have currents, and we have uh, water that flows all over the earth and brings life to all kinds of creatures. And I can go out fish in the ocean if I want and read it and whatever, and we, we have things that we are sustained by. Yeah, all of that that goes on. And uh, you could just go on and on and on and on and on and on about the things that God has placed in perfect order, yet in an irregular way, because I say it's irregular, it doesn't just happen that way. It shouldn't happen that way. And yet it is. And because of that, we have opportunity to have life. And we're not consumed just by the very fact of in nature where we're at. Hmm. I don't know. Uh, yet it, it is undoing as well. It's all winding down. God's compassion. And we go back to that phrase. He says, and through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. And again, the word mercy there that is used is just that, that God shows a favor in that he will not judge or he passes his judgment over us. And the word mercy is closely connected with, with the idea of grace, a loving kindness, and the word compassions down there, it says because his compassions fail not. That's why we're not consumed, because his compassions fail not. It doesn't matter. I make a hundred poor decisions as a Christian, or I go out and I sin in a certain way, or I continue to do that, pray and ask the Lord to clean me of this, or help me and all that, and go out and do it again. I may not be faithful fully, but he is. His compassions will never fail. And that's why for the believer, even as you've gone through life struggling with all kinds of things from doubt to sin to whatever, and you come around that bend, that last bend, the Lord is there. He's still going to bring us into heaven uh, based upon the, the work of Jesus Christ because his compassions never fail. In the Greek, um, the, in the New Testament, I should say, the word, actually, in the Old Testament here, the word compassion that is used, uh, the root word of it, it comes from the womb, actually, the word womb. So if you think about it, uh, the place where life is brought and also the place where really associated with a mother in particular. And you have the idea of a loving kindness that is like a maternal kind of love. That's how our God is. He loves us like a mother would love a child. And you think about that, there are days when, man, I, I think my mother probably wanted to, to take me out, you know. I'm not outside, just take me out, you know. And yet, she loved me, and that loving kindness trumped it, right? It's a good thing. And you ask her, maybe she'll say something different, but I'll just say this, that no matter what human relationships we have, they, they fail, they really do. Um, not everybody has a loving mother or father or that kind of representation. But I will say this, that God is always that way. Never will fail. Always there to give us another chance. All that. And the verse I wanted to look at for that in the New Testament, you have the word compassion used. And that's a different word um, as far as the way the word compassion, but it's, it's closely associated with the same thought. And the word, uh, like in Luke 10, 33, the the story of the Samaritan, remember? The good Samaritan. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, that's the guy who had been beat up and left there on the side of the road, he had compassion. 
And the word in the Greek for compassion, it's splanchinizomai. Uh, That's a big word. And you don't need to remember all that. You can remember, though, intestines, okay? Because that's the root word of it. It's the inner parts. <laughs> and it is the organs associated with, like, your liver, your, uh, it could be your stomach, your intestines. Bowels is the old English word. Yeah, and bowels of mercy. I mean, that just sounds a little crude, maybe, when we think about it in our modern English. But the reality is this. You've, you've ever, you, we use the phrase... Probably not proper English, but we say he had uh, he had the guts to do it, right? Or I really just that just that hit me right in the gut, and I just felt that when I saw that, or I became sick to my stomach when I heard that. And we use that phrase, and it literally does happen too. You you get this unsettling feeling, you know. You've sat there, and all of a sudden something terrible happens, and you're <laughs> you just you oh boy. And I'll tell you, that's the way God's compassion is. His compassion is one that he feels it. And it, it, it affects him. So much so, just like here in the instance of the Good Samaritan, he was going along, and when he saw a man that was beaten up and left, and nobody was helping him, he was moved when no one else was moved. And in the ancient Greek world, they really believed that the heart, as we call it, the heart, not the cardiac muscle, but the heart of man resided in his, his belly in the sense because of those feelings that often come when you're moved with compassion or you have butterflies in your stomach when you're in love, uh, those kind of things. And we still use those same phrases, but we don't necessarily associate them the same way as they would have in ancient times. Um, a couple other places it's seen. It talks about here. Uh, remember the story of the man who was released from his debt. It says, Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion. Here's a master who sees his servant, has a, the servant has a debt, and he's moved because of that load that's on that man. And he forgives him his debt. And there is obviously in that parable a picture of how Christ, how God himself has forgiven us our trespasses great debt debt beyond measure and also if we understood the the gravity of what he's forgiven and the the sense of the heaviness of that we i think would appreciate and love him more wouldn't we and that's what he talks about in using those parables about the forgiveness aspect and i know uh, sometimes we don't really understand uh, what christ did for us in the payment of our sin I saw a phrase the other day, I don't know where it was, I read it or posted it or saw, saw it posted or something, it was, but it just said this, that every time we toy with sin, we fail to realize that Jesus died for that. And we, we really trample underfoot the blood of Christ, the sacrifice of Christ, when we toy with sin and make light of it. And it's easy to make light of sin. There ought to always be a, an understanding that my Savior died because of that. And it ought to bother us, you know, for those things. And I, I think there's a lot of, of compassion that needs to be seen. And I think we need more compassionate Christians, to be honest with you. We live in a world where um, in the West here, people have become very, I think, 
opinionated and crude in every other way, and if they differ with you, they yell at you, uh, either you know all capitals or whatever, and they do that. And we need people who, even if you differ with somebody, you can be compassionate to them and realize that they are a soul that Christ died for and that he wants to redeem them. And it means that you, know, you, you don't stand and embrace sin. You certainly stand against it, but love people as Christ loved them. God's compassion that is seen. Luke 15, 20. And this is the story of the the prodigal, right? And he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. There's a picture of our heavenly father, right? And the compassion of a father who is waiting for his son to come back. There are many instances, there's over um, 11, I think, occurrences of the word that I mentioned here for the word compassion in the New Testament. Uh, Nine of them are in reference to miracles or healings. Only these two here talking about forgiving or embracing in the case of reconciliation that comes. But often it is a word when like Christ was moved with compassion, having seen the crowds and um, those that were... Uh, also in need of healing and those kind of things he is moved by that and that i'm glad sometimes we think god doesn't care about me he doesn't care that i'm going through this awful thing yes he does and there's times where he knows and we've mentioned this that it's just best we go through it because the product of the outcome is better but he doesn't desire us to be hurt or to go through a hard thing or be scarred for life those are all things that do come and is part of that there's a question that comes out sometimes and uh, and it goes with uh, we'll go back to lamentations here what makes christianity different than every other religion out there you know you know if you yeah it's grace it really is you, you could turn around and, and look at this and say, and that's funny, you ask people, and they say, are all religions equal? And most people will say, yeah, I mean, they really are. And morally, no, they aren't, and all that. A lot of them will say, well, they all boil down to about the same thing. If you, the golden rule, right? You do unto others as you'd want it done to you. Boy, guess what? That theology is based on man, not on God. You do unto others as you want it done to you. Where's God in that? I mean, certainly there is the aspect of loving your neighbor and loving him as yourself, but the backdrop of how we love is through Christ. I mean, he's the only one that can, can help us and give us that kind of unconditional love. I think of that because it's not about the golden rule. It's not about all the religions going to the same place. It's about grace. That distinguishes everything. It was C.S. Lewis that he was walking by a a group of uh, men who were in that very discussion. And they were talking about what makes Christians better. And as he walked by, he just said, that's easy. It's grace. (laughs) It's grace. Profound, right? And uh, we already knew that, I hope, so... It's the kind of compassion and grace that allows us to even come to faith in Him and find repentance and remission of sins right to the last breath here. A few years back, I, um, 
I was called to the bedside of a gentleman that was dying. He was dying of a, a liver disease from alcoholism. And a friend of mine who was a Christian, uh, she called and she said, would you go visit him? I really think he, he doesn't know where he's going. He wants, to, he wants to talk to somebody. So I did. I, I went right away. I went to the hospital. I sat with the gentleman. He was a, a, for, a district forest ranger, had been a, a well-known guy in you know the forestry circles there with the rangers and all that. And, and he was dying on his, in his hospital room. And I sat with him and I... I went through the gospel with him. I said, do you understand that? And he said, yeah, I did. I said, you know, listen, you were a ranger. You spent your whole life preparing for things, for the next call. I mean, they're always ready. When you have a forest fire, it's the rangers that are out there tromping through the woods, getting the, the equipment in and all that stuff. They're the ones out there with all kinds of other uh, things that they do as well as some of the law enforcement things. But, and, and I said, you know, you need to be ready for this. Anyways, we went through the gospel, and he, he accepted Christ. He, he believed. And I asked him, you know, I wanted to make sure he understood. He understood. And there was just a peace that came over him. Two weeks later, I was doing his funeral, and I had all those, you know, I probably had, uh, it was one of the bigger funerals I'd been to for when I was doing those. And there must have been 100-plus rangers that were there, and then a whole bunch of other people from our community. And, and I went through that, and I talked about the fact that you all knew this man, and you knew, you know, he, he wasn't always, you know, he lived by the bottle for a lot of his years. And that was, everybody knew that. And, and I said, but that's not why I can stand here today and tell you that he's in heaven. I said, I can stand here and tell you that he's in heaven based on one thing, the fact that Jesus Christ provided a way of redemption for all sin, for all sinners, so that we might go to heaven. And I named a guy and I said, he believed that. And I testified of that conversation that we had. He wanted people to know that. And I tell you, I had some, some guys, one guy is a ranger up this way, and he came to me after that. Hadn't seen him since high school. He says, I never heard that. Never heard that like that. I said, well, good. I hope you understand it, you know. And <laughs> And all those are the kind of things that you don't know what God does with that. But it's that idea that it's not how you live that's going to save you. It is by his mercy, his compassion, his grace that he saves us. And that we're not consumed. <clears throat> Mickey Mantle, right? Gee, you have any Mickey Mantle cards? Oh yeah, a few of them. Mickey Mantle died in 1995. Bobby Richardson, though, of uh, Bobby, yeah, and he died of alcoholism. While he was dying in his hospital room, Bobby Richardson and his wife went to visit Mickey, and they led him to Christ. And um, Bobby asked him, "How do you know you're a Christian?" You know, asked him, "How do you know you're going to go to heaven?" He asked him that hard question. Mickey Mantle quoted John 3.16. Probably seen it a thousand times at baseball games, right? He says, that's why I know I'm going to heaven. And he died. And, he, and Bobby Richardson had shared that a few times uh, in various interviews and all that. But, and spoke at his funeral as well. Other people like, how about uh, Jeffrey Dahmer? Anybody remember him? Yeah, Dahmer. He killed people and ate them. He was a cannibal. 
uh, a psychopath. That's what they called him. Well, not really, because the psychopath is without any feeling. And later, when he was in prison, a minister came at his request and, and led him to Christ. Jeffrey Dahmer went to Bible study with that minister and several other Christian prisoners up until weekly, every week, up until the day he was executed for his crime. And um, many people would ask, often ask the, the guy that led him to the Lord, how do you know he was a Christian? And it was other Christians asking that. <laughs> he says, well, I saw what, what the change that had taken place in his life. And I know that his compassions never fail. Is it possible Jeffrey Dahmer will be in heaven? If he believed that, yes. Yes. Whew. That's, that's hard to understand. Sometimes for a Christian, it's hard to wrap around that, isn't it? How can a, a guy like... But yet, if he was in a jungle and he had been eating people and he got saved, we'd have no problem with that. Huh. Of course, he can save cannibals. Been doing it for... Well, from the beginning of time, <laughs> beginning of creation, right? Oh, boy. Um, how do I know God will keep on loving me? All right, that's another question. It says, because his compassions fail not, he will always love me. Based, and that's that Romans 8, what can separate us from the love of Christ? The answer is nothing. Nothing can. James chapter 4, verse 6. But he gives more grace, therefore he says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Grace to the humble. Here it is, God giving grace. Another verse, John 1, and we often quote John 1.14, but let's read the whole passage here, or the whole section. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He's basically, and I've got to go back to Lamentations, we talk about compassion, mercy, grace, in, in the very face of Christ, in Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, you saw Lamentations 3. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was of, uh, he of whom I said he comes after me, uh, he who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And he was. I mean, he's the eternal son. Yet, it's, we find in the gospel accounts, John, right, he was older than Jesus by a few months. About six months, was it? Yeah. You know, Elizabeth conceives, and then Mary conceives. And how is it that John could say that? Because he's the eternal son of God. He's always been, and that's why, because he came before him. But look at verse 16. And of his fullness we have all received and grace for grace. You, you can't get enough grace. Grace for grace. And it's always there. Oh, I'm thankful for that. <clears throat> when will God give me what I need? <laughs> and uh, that is the mercies and grace. Well, every morning. Every morning. And by the way, it's a continuous uh, phrase there in the sense that Every morning when you wake up, His mercy and grace is as much as it's always been. It's not like, okay, it ran low overnight, and now it's morning. Phew, I made it, right? I think that way sometimes. I mean, I don't know about you, but I can just get to tomorrow morning, I'll be okay. God will forgive me or something, you know? No, listen, you're forgiven. 
Past tense, future tense, everything, present tense. It's there, it's gone. And his mercy is as new today, his compassion as fresh as it could be this morning, as it is tonight, as it is forever. Ever. That's why I can't, they don't fail. We, we can live in that. And then what is my hope for the future? That's the last phrase. Great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. Ray Pritchard, uh, on this section, he writes this. Great is our fickleness. <laughs> Great is thy faithfulness. We may grow weary, but our God cannot. We may give up, but our God cannot. We may fluctuate, but our God cannot. We may vacillate, but our God cannot. We may disappoint others, but our God cannot disappoint anyone. We may fail a thousand times, but our God cannot fail, not even once. Oh, wow. Uh, and, and we echo that, you know? We echo that. Um, dear friend of ours, uh, Richard Fowler, went home to be with the Lord a couple days ago. Um, Pastor Fowler uh, got saved out of the Marine Corps and not just after he was in the Marines, I think in 1967 or so, he got out and went to NBBI. Um, he and his wife got married, went into ministry, and spent the near last 50 years in ministry, basically, and serving the Lord, doing that. And I remember sitting with him uh, just a few years ago when we were at some meetings down in, in uh, Pubnico, Nova Scotia. That's where they ended up. And, yeah, and we were sitting there, and we were just rehearsing the faithfulness of God over the years they um they're so blessed you know they served in alexander maine for many years and uh tom reminded me tonight because um, i had had this conversation with dick fowler uh he led dan rayner to the lord and dan and, and peg were you know came to faith in christ under his ministry during that time and just the faithfulness of god as we continue to share God can use him. And by the way, Joe, we would joke incessantly about him being a Marine. And I almost always got the better of him, most of the time. But that was it. But uh, I look forward to seeing him someday again. But more than anything, I look forward to seeing Christ. And great is thy faithfulness, right? Father, we thank you for your word. Help us to keep our hearts uh, pointed towards heaven. And Lord, that we would also know that no matter what comes our way, here and and lord i think of some right here in this room facing great great concerns with health and with future and with maybe problems we're not even aware of and burdens in families and lord yet you are faithful tonight as you ever have been as you ever will be thank you for your mercy your compassion your grace your faithfulness and Lord, help us to reflect that in some way. In Jesus' name, amen.